Hello, dear friends, and welcome to the Synovium podcast, dedicated to fostering sensitivity between people and the planet through sonic musings on the nature of embodiment. I am your host, Morgan Coolis, and I work as an artist, philosopher, and teacher practitioner who researches somatic potential and phenomena. My practice is informed by a lifetime of training and a professional career in postmodern dance, as well as 20 years of practice as a lay practitioner of engaged Buddhism and Samkhya Yoga. On this podcast, I share weekly ruminations, as well as interview artists and healers who work at the confluence of creative praxis, embodiment, healing, and systems change. Today, I have the privilege of sharing the beginning of a series on healing with my wonderful friend Hudson Gardner, who is a student and practitioner of Chinese medicine and who has a wonderful podcast and blog on Substack called Walk Around. I value Hudson's wisdom and point of view, and I hope you will enjoy listening in on our casual conversations on life and healing. As always, I appreciate you and please enjoy. I think it's kind of a mysterious subject, really. It seems to me like water is a very forgettable um, thing because it's so omnipresent as an as a physical feature, but it turns out it's the most important thing basically in the world, which is <laughs> kind of funny. It's so ubiquitous that it's it's completely forgettable and that's kind of amazing because i think it shows the the profoundness of um things that are like that so this i hope isn't a tangent but maybe something correlated to this how water seems to be to me which is um like sometimes in my life i don't realize I've had something until I've lost it. Um, And I think that that's really a powerful experience, even though it's extremely painful um, to lose something, especially if it was so embedded in your life and in yourself that you didn't even realize it was there. Um, but I think that's kind of like how water is really, it's, it's like a baseline that without which life wouldn't be possible at all. Mm. Yeah, I guess I could keep going. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. That's very poetic. Yeah. I'm thinking about the fluid body and the fluid cellular substratum of what makes us us right i'm thinking about like dna and the way that our fluid body carries our dna and responds to our environment and sort of 
is expressing and evolving and emerging all the time. But yeah, it's unseen, sort of underground, unconscious, subconscious. And obviously, water is and water is so um, versatile and takes on so many different shapes. That's another thing that comes up for me is its versatility. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shape shifter. It really can become anything. I think there's water in almost everything. Like it's kind of crazy if you look at it chemically. That's I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's like uh part of everything, even though it's not noticed. <laughs> it's like it's the season of water right now, which is winter. It's almost it's getting to the end of it in the mm-hmm. Chinese seasonal calendar the winter is a season of water um and the season of the kidneys and urinary bladder and yeah it's um it has interesting dynamics with hot and cold the whole water idea uh or the element of water so the the five phases um or the five elements are like the different states of climactic influences and experiences and physiology within the body that occur in a seasonal cycle. Um, And so water is at the bottom of it all. It's the deepest part of the body. It's the lowest organ, um, the bladder and the, I mean, in the Chinese view, the kidneys and the bladder are the lowest organ in the body. And, um, So it's where life kind of begins and moves up from, or so you could say. And it's the deepest seasonal node when everything is frozen. Water actually in the environment in winter is frozen in the northern hemisphere, in most of the northern hemisphere. There's this guy who lived a while ago named um, Zhang Zhongjing. Or Zhang Zhongjing. I, I can't do Chinese pronunciation very well. but he wrote a book called uh, the Shanghan Loon and it and it's like kind of an it's like a as as ancient texts are it's like 1800 years old it's kind of a compilation of many different authors but he was one of the main ones and um it's called the treatise on cold damage the Shanghan Loon and cold damage has to do with the water element in the body so I think it's a really interesting book that treatise on cold damage because it kind of discusses how all diseases actually come from um, a type of cold damage. And um, essentially cold damage means that there's been damage to the storage system of the body. So what is the storage system? Well, in biomedical terms, like the storage system of our body seems to be like the adipose tissue. If you don't have any fat, then your body starts consuming your muscle tissue. And that's basically as far as it goes, as far as I know. I think maybe even your organs start to be metabolized if you're really, really running out of energy or running out of storage. 
but in Chinese medicine, storage is a different perspective. Um, it's more like there's a center in the body that gives you a level of baseline energy. Um, it's kind of like a pilot light is the metaphor I've heard. And then that pilot light that keeps burning allows all the physical and energetic um, functions of the body to occur. And that pilot light is the kidneys. And it's the water element. Mm -hmm. um, kidneys slash adrenals. Right. There's this idea that the water... <laughs> is like steamed up from the bladder and diffused through the body, which is kind of a strange thought because the bladder is just seen as a storage area for like waste in the biomedical perspective. But that's obviously not quite how it works physically, but there's something there. <laughs> there's definitely something. Hmm. Um, but the idea even of that steaming process of the kidneys and the bladder is kind of like that's how the energy of the body kind of proliferates. Um, and also through the spleen, um, mm -hmm. of course, but we don't need it. That's earth element, so shouldn't touch on that this time. It's hard not to start touching on every single thing, though. <laughs> I know. Um, they connect. I was going to say, there's this saying that people say, it is what it is, but I like to say, it is what it's related to. <laughs> mm. The thing is more important. <laughs> it is what it's related to. Yes. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say one more thing about storage. So I've really wrestled with this concept of storage and storage damage. Because if you encounter someone, okay, so this is going to be probably mind-bending for some people to hear, but if you encounter somebody who's really hot, there's probably like a 99% chance from a Chinese pathological view that actually what happened is cold damage to them. So if you see somebody with like flushed cheeks all the time, rosacea, uh, chronic inflammation, different types of cancers um or just like hyperthyroidism um mm. or even hypothyroidism diabetes like anything that the body is kind of like inflamed from it's actually because from the chinese perspective the classical chinese perspective which is from these books that are a thousand to 1800 years old like the texts that were the seminal texts of the practice before the Mao era. Um, that's because there is there's a an issue with the with basically the chi of the body, which is like the energy and the metabolic process being stored in the kidneys properly. Mm. And so that heat is just wandering around causing problems. And so the a good physician will track back in time if they see a patient who's presenting like that and they say okay so when was there a period in your life where you have a sign of storage damage like when was that the idea is that the yang chi which is the warm chi like the the living principle of chi which is the yang as opposed to the yin which is like the form the physical substance the body of it 
there's the idea that 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 the the storage of that essence or something was damaged and so the the heat can't sink back into that place anymore which sounds really simplistic but if you treat based on those guidelines it actually to like nourish storage you can actually reverse those heat pathologies really effectively in a way that chronic inflammation doesn't get reversed in allopathy which is like oh something's hot just pour water on it like pour ice on it make it colder and colder and colder that actually damages the storage even more mm -hmm. so you have to nourish the uh, return to storage process which is the opposite of pouring ice water on something yeah you're basically building the capacity of that organ or tissue growing yeah. capacity versus trying to uh, squelch it, squash it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> repress it, suppress it, which yeah. is all allopathy is all suppression, repression, destruction, yeah. blame. Um, Separation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So can we use the yin, yin kidney, yang bladder to explain what it means to be a yin organ versus a yang organ? I know you, you can't live without your yin organs, but you can live without most of your yang organs. That's my I, understanding. Yeah, I think functionally... That would make sense to me because the yang organs are kind of like a tube that the things pass through. Right. And the yin organs are more functional and yin stores and yang moves. kind of diffuses or moves. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's my understanding too. Yeah. That yin contains and yang. Yeah. Diffuses is a really good word or. And that's D-I-F-F-U-S-E-S, -S, not diffuses, diffuses, like spreads. Mm -hmm. Spreads, yeah. And my understanding also is the kidney are the deepest organ, like even deeper than the heart. They're the closest to the spine. And then on top of our kidneys sit those beautiful little adrenal glands. And that one beautiful idea I learned through uh, Dao Yin and Qigong and the movement side of uh, these traditions that I've studied. I always like to kind of teach on the adrenal kidney relationship because we do kind of go about our world and our lives like we have this endless reservoir of uh, energy and vitality and we don't. And my understanding with Chinese medicine is it's like that you can use up your vitality and that vitality yeah. is is housed in the kidney um, and that makes sense allopathically even regarding the adrenal glands right like we only have so much cortisol that our body can mm -hmm. pump through our every day um yeah yep so i think that's a really accessible kind of way in to yeah that kidney bladder connection yeah 
Um, and I also would say like, so winter, I think that maybe something that we should talk about is how to nourish storage. Mm. <laughs> There's like so many podcasts I listened to driving back and forth from the winery I worked at this fall in the Willamette Valley. And I, there's this very particular guy who runs this thing um, called the Geological Podcast. Have you heard him? Michael no. Max. He's got a very particular voice. And so I always hear him in my head when I start talking about classical stuff because of this particular interview with this guy named Ed Neal, who's a classical scholar. So Michael Max interviewed Ed Neal. And Michael kicks off the episode by saying, <laughs> so in the good old days, everybody lived seasonally and they knew how to live and nourish storage and take care of themselves. And now it's the modern day. And so what do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> like, we're so off base, you know, on a basic, yeah. basic, like, beginning point. Um. Yeah, But I think all hope's not lost. And Ed Neal responded, um, I don't think there ever was good old days. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was always suffering and there was always, you know, people losing their teeth and getting sick and having emotional heartbreak. And, you know, we've yeah. been humans for a very long time. <laughs> so it's important not to think like, wow, we're screwed. Like modern life is going to kill us all. Like... There's a lot of good things about it is how I want to preface this. But the point I'm trying to get to through this circuitous story that's partially joking <laughs> is um, that to nourish storage, you actually have to do live more like an old timer, um, which is that you rise in this time of um, this time of year, you go to bed early and you rise late. So mm -hmm. you you go to bed, you know, 8 9 and you wake up at like 7 8 when the sun rises mm -hmm. and basically while you're in bed you know you're just laying there and what you're doing is you're letting the young rest and so there's these lines <laughs> in the shang han loon and also the suen which is the the plain questions the neijing is the more common name for it but they're like, during the three months of winter, don't disturb Yang, which is kind of like saying, like, just don't fuck with it. Don't like wake it up. Don't wake the dragon. Um, like just leave it alone. And you do that by actually not sweating and not engaging in really intense physical activity. It should be more meditative activity in the wintertime, reflecting mm -hmm. the season. Mm -hmm. And even it even says stuff like, let me see if I can just quote it directly. One's intentions should be hidden. Mm -hmm. And you should go about as if, as if your plans had already been completed. Yeah, I love that. It's like this uh, going underground, wintering, undergoing your psychic processes in private. Yeah. Um, I love that. And yeah. obviously I, I love um what you're saying about and I'm familiar with this concept too of uh in Daoyan of like moderate movement. You know, I 
I sequence a lot of the practices that I teach according to, I sequence all of them according to this framework um, and the seasons because I find it the most generative for me, but like following the meridian lines in the winter, you know, I do a lot of forward bending, a lot of opening up the back body, spinal undulations, um, yoga nidra and like deep sleep practices, um, walking, walking in the winter, slow, mindful walking. Um, yeah. Love that. That's beautiful. What is, so opening up the back body, what does that mean? Uh, your hamstrings, right? Like thinking about kind of, especially the bladder meridian, if you look at it, you know, not knowing much about Chinese medicine, it's easy to see how in a forward bend, you would really be opening up the posterior side of the body, the, the hamstrings, the back of the spine, the low back, do a lot of hips in the winter, hip opening, abduction, um, you know, engaging, doing myofascial or body work on your external rotators, just kind of working with those meridian meridian lines um is how i always sequence my practice or think about my practice is the back body kind of more supportive in function mm-hmm. this is such oh. a good question we think of it yeah. like that we think of it like that but no because basically like if you're looking at say the hamstrings and the quads right yeah and anytime you release or stretch your hamstrings, your quads are engaging. Anytime you stretch your quads, your hamstrings are engaging. And in all the muscles, right? That's always happening. That um, tensegrity mm-hmm. or that opposition. Yeah, it works really well for me in my practice. That's cool. So yeah, working with the meridian seasonally, I haven't thought about that i feel like i'm kind of like this weird (laughs) sometimes i feel like in relation to my body i'm kind of like a like an an interesting tree trunk like i just don't have much like (laughs) nuance i feel like i need i really need to work more on being aware of my using my body i mean i work with my body i've been working outside with my body for 10 years now Mm-hmm. But I don't really nourish it properly, I don't think, through activity like that. Yeah, I think most people don't. That's yeah. why that's why we're all needed for our different gifts and our different skills, you know. We need yeah. each other for our different skills. That's it's really good to think about that for me. I think. Another thing that happened when I moved into this space and unpacked everything that I own, you know, for the first time in like seven or eight years or something was the day after I just like had this massive incidence of lower back pain that just Mm -hmm. really came out of nowhere. I mean, moving in here, I moved in like three relatively light boxes. It wasn't like I strained my back moving the boxes or something. It was definitely emotional. Yeah especially like hitting in the lower, the lumbar, I think it is L2 or L3 or so. Mm. That point, even especially in this seasonal node that we're in, speaking of like seasonality, we're in great cold right now, which is the coldest the time of the year. Um, 
that part of the body is actually most vulnerable and most impacted this time of year. You see a lot of lower lumbar injuries and pain in that region right now for people Mm -hmm. or something that's generating, like maybe someone has severe neck pain and stiffness, but it's actually being generated from somewhere deeper. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I thought that was really interesting. I've been trying to help myself through that. (laughs) Yeah. And you have had the hip situation. Right. Still kind of, but I mean, your hips, your hips, there's also water element, right? Um, Low back and hips. Yeah. Are on those, those kidney and bladder meridians on the body. Um, Yeah. My hip just stopped working. My left hip just stopped working. My, my external rotators stopped working. And my psoas was strained and I don't, I didn't, again, like you, I didn't do anything just happened. It was definitely emotional and psychological. And I think one of the coolest things is being able to heal ourselves. You know, I think this is why for a long time, I thought about going into some form of medicine and have trained in, in, you know, Ayurvedic medicine pretty extensively, but I landed on teaching because it is a path of handing people agency over their their healing process and giving them the tools to heal themselves. And I think that that is so powerful. That's been so powerful for me. I've been my my own best healer throughout my life. <laughs> um, and I think that that's true for all of us. So that's kind of why I landed on teaching. But it is amazing how much we can heal ourselves with intuition if we're, if we know even just a little bit about um, any form of medicine, really, or anything about the body. You know, a little yeah. bit of knowledge goes a long way, I think. For sure. Yeah. That's how it started for me, like healing my digestive system back when I was 20 years mm-hmm. old. I also wanted to say, just back on the subject of water. I I was going to say something about like the climactic influences of water in the environment and the landscape. Obviously, water inside of us is linked with the outside world. With women or people who menstruate, they feel it very particularly because of the rhythms of menstruation mm-hmm. and the ebb and flow of the moon and essentially the internal tide of a of a person there's this situation right now with our climate (laughs) that's been a long time in coming where there's this kind of interesting view of of the chinese classical mind that the the ice caps and i'm taking this information from heiner fruhoff by the way so that's the source if you want to investigate it more um the ice caps are actually seen as analogous to the kidneys of the earth Mm -hmm. Because without them, we wouldn't have a, a hospitable climate. Wow. Um, and that's actually really interesting because, like, those are places that we kind of shouldn't go. Those mm-hmm. are the sacred, most sacred parts of the world, actually, that keep it all functioning. And we've gone there and we've dug up essentially sunlight that was stored under there. And now look where we are. So 
I think it's really important to note if we want to have a consciousness shift in this world. Mm-hmm. I hope the richest CEO in the world listens to this podcast and decides <laughs> to change everything I've done. Come on, Peter Thiel, or whatever, Elon. Um, when a person imbibes caffeine in the winter and keeps the same work schedule because they're tired and they use it to wake up. This is in no way judgmental because everyone does this, but you're essentially doing the same thing we did to our um, ice caps and our fossil fuel. Yes. So you're, you're damaging that principle. Yeah. You're adrenalizing. Right. And maybe if you do it a little bit, it's okay. But if you do it a lot, yeah. you know, that's, there's probably going to be some impact there. When you're in your 50s, 60s, you know, you'll see your bones get more brittle, osteoporosis, you'll feel fatigue, you have other mm-hmm. types of dysfunction. Maybe you'll have uh, inflammatory issues like if you start drawing on the water element really strongly, you're going to see a lot of pathologies later in life down the road. Mm-hmm. Thyroid issues, yeah. difficulties or menopause. Um, yeah. So that's really important to remember. You know, we, our lives are finite. Our energy is finite. The world is finite. And it's actually a sacred process to disturb that energy. Yes. That should be very, very carefully undertaken. And you should be very careful about how you're using that energy. Yes. And it's, you know, it's a, it's an enactment of great resistance to do that right now. Like at this point in time to choose to not bypass your body to go along, get along, be along, (laughs) be in, uh, in the systems. I feel like this veers a little bit into kind of the personality of water. Like I'm thinking of the Tao Te Ching and this, this translation by Ursula K. Le Guin I shared with you. Yeah. Can I read this one? Can we maybe yeah, dissect it? Okay. So yeah. again, this is a translation by Ursula, Ursula K. Le Guin. And there's, so there's many other translations of it, but. Easy by nature, it's Sutra 8. True goodness is like water. Water is good for everything. It doesn't compete. It goes right to the low, loathsome places, and so finds the way. For a house, the good thing is level ground. In thinking, depth is good. The good of giving is magnanimity. That's a hard one. Of speaking honesty, of government order, the good work is skill and of action timing. No competition, so no blame. So the first kind of point here is like there's an association with the virtue of goodness and water um, because it doesn't compete and the first point is something you've already mentioned which is kind of about winter the season of winter 
going underground. And even when you speak about the kidneys being like ice caps, being kind of beyond our awareness. Uh, Yeah. Maybe we could talk a little bit about this. uh, Water goes to the low and loathsome places. One of the key aspects of water in the body is to modulate the heart function, which is fire. Um, unfortunately for us, <laughs> water and fire have to work together. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They don't like it, but they have to work together. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's this saying that a lot of, I've heard a lot of, uh, well, I I can't say I've heard, but I've read very, was very common in, in Nez Perce culture, which is, um, a tribe of Native Americans that live in the northwestern, northeastern part of Oregon and the south um, eastern part of Idaho. Uh, more like, I guess, southeastern part of Washington and the north, kind of the northwestern part of Idaho. Um, and they, their homeland of one of their bands, which is the Wallawa band, is the place that my mom grew up near and it's the county I've been visiting my whole life. Um, But they would say before they would speak, my heart is good. Mm. And in some way, what they were maybe saying is like, they're saying the fire that can be there in my heart is being modulated appropriately by the water element. (laughs) Mm which is a beautiful way to begin a conversation. Um, I think we could have more of that. And that's what came up for the poem for me. And then I think it's also really interesting that water does go to the lowest place. Um, It's a natural, natural level. Like the surface of water is always level Mm -hmm. unless it's windy, of course, but if it's a pond, it's level. It's like, connected to the earth's core in a very intimate way it's always flat with it um it's happy to be down there it doesn't seem it seems to transcend the need to protect itself mm-hmm. which i haven't quite figured out how to do yet but i don't think that's necessary for us maybe well yeah i mean there's definitely a virtue being kind of established in in easy by nature well that's a translation mm-hmm. but number eight <laughs> in the Tao Te Ching yeah. um, of like which I, I understand is pretty essential to Taoist thought and of course Buddhist thought as well and Zen you know this humility and also beyond humility like yeah humility it's yeah it's even but it's even beyond that it's like associate yourself with the lowest of the low and that that's something like i've heard a lot in buddhism and yoga as well like uh sometimes spiritual folks are not associated with sort of being underground being sort of just mm, mistakable for 
Um, there's a lot of places my brain wants to go right now. So I'm just trying to navigate which way to go, but yeah, like this spirituality, this Taoist way, the way is not one of like esteem of any kind of any kind of gloriousness, and even any kind mm-hmm. of like earth-based gloriousness. It's like, you know, you are nothing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and there is like actually a lot of potency in that. And dropping the ego like in yogic technologies you know it's kind of like we're slowly detaching from our ego you know we're slowly processing through like that detachment the bureaucracy of the ego but in Taoism, it's like nope go all the way down (laughs) you know drop it immediately yeah yeah which is yeah i think you have to be careful with that too because there's Mm -hmm. a level of masochism that can occur yeah you know in that process especially if it's not guided by someone wiser than you who's done it before yes um there can be some damage that occurs so mm-hmm. how to find that balance is definitely a delicate dance yeah do you want to say more about that have you no. experienced that well i just think that when i've encountered people who i consider wise um, I'm always shocked by the stuff they say because <laughs> not always, but I'm, I'm more shocked by it. I think I'm more shocked oftentimes by how wise people are so easygoing. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like they've kind of set aside all the struggles because they've found a truth that doesn't need striving mm-hmm. to find and achieve and live in. Yeah. Um, my friend and I were just talking about this. He showed me a photo, like an old disposable camera photo, really shadowy, not a very good picture of this Swinomish woman that it was an elder in the Swinomish tribe community. Swinomish people um, live to the east of what is called Whidbey Island in the Salish Sea. Um, Salish Sea. Um, and I have a friend I live with here on the land who grew up on their reservation. And he got to know after he left growing up there, he got to know this woman. I don't, I don't remember her name. I don't know if he ever told me, but he said that she was a simple woman. She went to the dining hall and ate hamburgers and stuff. And, <laughs> He'd go in there and chat with her and he would just talk about almost nothing. It seemed to him, nothing in particular anyway. And then when he would leave after talking with her, he felt like unburdened in a way that he's never really felt in his life. Mm. And I don't even know if she said anything in particular, you know? Yeah. It was just who she was. Yeah. And that kind of experience, that kind of person, firstly, you won't know they exist until you've heard about them or you've met them. Like, you can't even imagine a person like that exists, really. And then you won't, secondly, realize what they have to share until you humble yourself and listen to them. Yeah. And accept that maybe someone that knows more than you. 
right even even knows more than you about you <laughs> which i've yeah. been shocked like i have a friend of mine who really just bothers the hell out of me because he's so hard to deal with sometimes but some of the stuff he's kind of told me about myself has just like resounded in my head over and over again for months later it's like he knew more about me than myself you know and he's he's older than me he's probably in his 50s i think yeah i would consider him like sure Mm. um amazing herbalist his name's michael gibbons and when he said stuff to me i was like i don't want to believe that you're an asshole (laughs) (laughs) but then it stuck with me yeah so just as yeah so this humbleness journey you know is one that's fraught with many precipices and i think it requires a a hand in some cases Right. And it also requires the wintering and the undergoing of things on your own in Mm. private, which is uncomfortable for a lot of folks. Totally. It is very uncomfortable, especially to say no to all the shiny objects of the world. Yeah which can be very seductive, which it can even be like multiple social engagements and, you know, mm-hmm. all the things that are healthy, but also sometimes distracting. Yeah. So, or relationships. I know a lot of poly- polyamorous folks around here and um, it's it's something they're exploring and it's also something that takes a lot of energy to be part of and it right. can be depleting, I think. So yeah. Yeah. It's depleting being in one committed partnership. <laughs> oh my god. Multiple committed partnerships. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Especially in winter. <laughs> yeah, especially in winter. Yeah, it's definitely easier in spring and summer. Yeah, I've been in in very wow. much this underground place um lately where i've had a lot of ruptures going on in relationships um and i realized you know sometimes the pressure when you're going through a weird time is like well come out like come be with people come socialize like and I was sort of trying that for a while. And then I realized like, this is not nourishing me at all. And this is like almost leading to more problems. So I really need to actually not be around people because (laughs) it seems the stuff I'm processing comes out in all these distorted ways. And so I just went really, uh, really underground and just started kind of working through a lot of it privately and I've been thinking a lot about projections and the way in which we use each other as human beings um, to get our needs met, you know, and like, it's this fundamental human thing that we do where we interact, we project, we, we, we seek our needs through other people. And there's an element of that that's like healthy, right? Like 
social belonging matters and connection matters. Yes. But for the most part, in my experience, most of us are doing this in a really codependent and addictive way where we're not, we're not really relating to self ever. We're constantly trying to get our needs met through external forces, whether that's other people, food, substances, activity, whatever it is, work. Yeah. And I'm just really interested in, I got really serious this winter about like self-regulation and self-orientation, not, not in a narcissistic way at all, but as like a, okay, like how am I using people, my friends, my partner as resources to get my needs met versus like actual portals to connection. And I don't know, it's felt like an important thing to be examining. And the more I examine it, the more I realize how other people use me to get their needs met. And that is really painful. But I think that this dance is happening all the time, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. It totally is. That's, that's really, that's helpful for me to hear actually, because I feel like my role in community is often just to be a giver. I'm just one of, I'm one of those people that like, I say something that I'm going to do, I show up and I do it. And then like, I offer to do more. And I just like do that for people. I cook for people. I help them organize. I help them move. I help them. I, like I listen to them. I give them massages. I, that's yep. just what I do. And I was sort of realizing that I need to actually step back from that role, that little role of mine right now. <laughs> yeah. Be a little bit more selfish or something right now. Well, this is sort of the dilemma of being, being sort of born into this lifetime to be a healer, which I really think I know you are. And I know I am and in different ways and we all could be healers in different ways, but like for us, it's a big, force right like that's part of our friendship and our connection and understanding is sharing this bond of healing is a priority and at the same time my body matters just as much as the body that I'm working with I no longer I used to think like well my role as a healer like I used to get a lot of energy from just being of service but then after Mm -hmm. being of service for a long time I realized that my body wasn't being, wasn't a part of it. So then I started bringing my body into equal relationship with the person that I'm working with. Like no longer do I put myself, it's not a humbling underneath, right? But it's like a humbling in. And when I no longer believe that what's happening in my body is less important than what's happening in that person's body, because we're interconnected. <laughs> um, totally. So, yeah, Great. we do. We have to. And I guess one random note you made in our in our notes for this conversation was a little bit like off off the beaten path. But you wrote down health advice in friendships and relationships. Oh yeah. <laughs> so this is a thing. You're right. But this is a thing. I think we should talk about it. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, I think it's your your perspective on your body commiserating or being intertwined with the other person's is really important. Um, you can't deplete one and expect the other to do better. That's not how this whole thing works. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're not these. There needs to be a, a balance between a, al- alkalinity and acidity, just even in our interactions. <laughs> Say more. So, well, it's like alkaline tends to attract or tends to give and acid tends to wait. Yeah, acid tends to strip ions and mm-hmm. alkaline tends to offer ions. So it's like there has to be a balance between the 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 push and the pull. Or you could say like a magnetic kind of resonance or something like that too. Mm-hmm. Um what I've noticed is so I'm going into the medical profession. I'm going to Chinese medicine school this fall. I've enrolled and paid my tuition hold and doing my prerequisites and everything. So I'm going. And so now I tell people, well, I'm going to school for Chinese medicine this fall. And they're like, oh, is that so? Well, in that case, can, they don't necessarily say, can you give me advice? But I, they're like, oh, I respect your advice or something. You seem really serious about this. And I have a tendency to be like, hey, do you want me to assess what's going on with you, you know? Mm-hmm. But what I've started to realize is like, yeah, there's a lot of people, and I'm thinking of a couple in particular around here that like I could say some stuff to them about their health that would help them. But in a friendship, I think it's actually really important to not, even though they maybe would love the advice and they would take it, it seems like they have to ask yeah. for it. Yes. And and it's not even that like they aren't at not asking me like they aren't asking me directly, but they are sort of being like, oh yeah, sure, whatever ideas you have. But I think it has to be a direct ask because there's like a dynamic that's formed between a patient and a healer or a patient and a doctor that is a sacred type of dynamic where the person shows up and they're ready to do the stuff that they need to do. Yeah. And there isn't, or at least they think that they're ready. <laughs> they're ready to be ready. <laughs> um, and with a friend, it's more like, I think helping is, is important in a friendship, but <clears throat> I think it can create a dynamic that's harmful to the friendship in the end. If you're constantly trying to help your friends. On both ends, Um, though, on both ends, because um, most people who are uh, most people who come asking for me personally for therapeutic support, mostly I work with trauma and the body somatically. Yeah. Most people do not, they want to come to me or someone else and they want for me to resolve the issue. But actually, all I'm doing is giving them some tools and technologies that they need to then implement and embody on a regular basis for that thing to resolve. And I think we really are in this 
in this wellness space of quick fixes and immediacy and healing yeah. is not immediate. Healing is very slow, especially as we get older. Homeostasis is not easy to, to get to. And you actually have to do the work as the patient or the practitioner or the student. Um, yeah. And then so for the, the, the healer, the giver, the teacher, whatever we want to call, call it, you know, it, it's exploit, it's exploitative, you know, and when people's needs aren't met, you become a target for projections, a target for what's not being met, you know, that's why like psychotherapists have such strong boundaries around like transference and things like that. So yeah, it can, it can be really damaging to a relationship if both people mm -hmm. aren't like on the same page on both sides. Especially like I, I get into trouble. I just care about people really deeply. And I don't know, I guess I can't turn it off very easily, but I think I need to really learn how to modulate that now that I'm going to become a mm -hmm. physician because I was brought up by somebody who tends to worry about the people they care about a lot. And I think that kind of put a little earwig, ear, earwig inside of me that worries, like this worrying little earwig. Yeah, and we need to send that little guy packing because it's not very helpful to to worry about people that you care about actually, and um, especially in a clinical perspective, like you have to be able to turn off your mind toward that yeah. stuff and not get emotionally attached to people. And I think that that sounds a little brutal or something, but it mm -hmm. also sounds like wisdom. It is wisdom because one, empathy is a trauma response. And two, when we worry about people, we take away their autonomy. We take away their power, their agency over their own life and their own yeah. process. Yeah. So I find Absolutely. that the, the in-between is questions. Yeah. Asking questions is like the best middle ground totally for all of us like just being in relationship yeah. i think one of the kindest things we can do is get good at asking people questions that are actually helpful <laughs> you know and loving totally. and not not yeah. just based on an agenda yeah what you think needs to happen right water travels to the lowest point <laughs> yeah I've always been struck by this, the types, the sort of types in uh, Chinese medicine that some, some practitioners utilize and some probably don't, but like kind of an Ayurveda, you might um, see a practitioner and, and learn your doshic makeup, your prakriti, which would be, you know, vata kappa or whatever. But in Chinese medicine, you can be a type, say a water type, um, you know, take it or leave it. But I found these paradoxes in this beautiful book, um, Between Heaven and Earth, a guide to Chinese medicine. Um, and the paradoxes for the types are really cool. So the paradox for water, like relating to personality, is in this book is yearns for truth but fears exposure hmm. yearns 
yearns for connection, but intolerant of contact. Likes to be squeezed, but is scared of being squashed. Wants, <laughs> <laughs> wants to penetrate inside, but detests being absorbed. Enjoys being left alone, but dreads being abandoned. Hmm. What book is this? Between Heaven and Earth. I've sent it to you. It's like my favorite one. I love contradiction, hypocrisy, consecrity, like in from a movement perspective, like opposition and contradiction yeah. is is almost like everything you work with in in a movement context. Um, yeah. Totally. So dancing these ideas is really exciting to me, like yearning for truth but fearing exposure. You know, how could I yeah. dan dance that idea? Right. Wow. That's really interesting. And whoever's listening, how can you dance that idea? <laughs> yeah. How can we dance, you know, our desire for connection and our intolerance of contact? This is a big one. We want connection, but we, uh, but actually coming into physical contact with another body is actually really <laughs> um, vulnerable and intense. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe this is a good place to end it on. I don't know how long we've been talking. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>